Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker.
Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we sing about the goodness of God this morning, as we open our worship time this morning together. Sing with me. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkest night. You are close like no other. I know you as a father. I know you as a friend. And I have been in the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my with me Psalm 103 through 5 know that the Lord is God it is he who made us and we are his we are his people the sheep of his pasture enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever his faithfulness continues through all generations. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated. God is good to us. Amen. We are glad that you chose to come and worship with us today. Uh, if you are a guest of ours, please take one of the care cards. Uh, they're located there in the pew rack in front of you. We would love to have uh, your information, at least send you something from our church uh, to thank you for being with us in worship. And on the back of the care card is a place for you to fill in any prayer requests that you might have. Uh, we do get those. The pastor's on staff, and we pray for you. And so we want to hear about those things. So let us know. We want to be praying for our church family uh, and take a minute to do that. As you leave today, there are two giving boxes where folks, you put your offering or uh, those cards that are on the wall. Uh, either side of the double doors you leave this morning, those giving boxes are there. You can place those there, and we'll make sure they get uh, to the right people. And again, thank you for being with us uh, here in worship this morning. It is good to have our pastor back, amen? He is going to be preaching this morning, and I know he's got it bottled up, so I hope you brought your lunch. No, I'm kidding. No, we're excited to hear from him. I know he's chomping a bit to get back in the pulpit. He doesn't like to miss uh, Sunday mornings and his time here to speak. He, he misses doing that. I know he shares that with us. Uh, but let me give you a couple of announcements. Today is our churchwide picnic from 4 to 6.30. We haven't done this in several years, and so uh, it's at Frank Lisk Park. Please bring enough food for your family and a little bit more. We'll put it all on a table, and then we all walk through in lines and fill our plates and ask for forgiveness for gluttony later. Um, but anyway, no, we have a great time there and a lot of good food. We'll have that there. We'll be in the Philip Morris Shelter. So when you come in the park at the main entrance, you take the first left and you go all the way around to basically the end of that road. And there's a lower parking lot there. The Philip Morris Shelter is at the end of that road. So it's the first left. And it used to be tennis courts there. I think they've taken those out, but it's up around to the left. The Philip Morris Shelter. You just follow the signs and we'll start out at 4 o'clock. And the Stowe Road Bridge is open. So it is open now, so you don't have to go all the way around to 49. You can just come your regular way over to Franklin. Just want to throw that in there. Uh, Trunk or Treat is coming up on Wednesday, October 25th, and we're moving, moving it back on our campus this year. Community groups will be uh, given registration packets in their attendance folders. We'll be watching for those. And next week, we'll begin collecting candy. If you have questions, just see Garrett. Uh, she is usually at the information desk. She can uh, answer those questions for you. And then couple of things for our ladies. We have a fall ladies Bible study coming up when you pray. It's a seven-week study on prayers from the Bible. Uh, there's going to be an intro session next Sunday at 5, and then the studies will be on Thursday at 10 o'clock and 6.30. There's two choices beginning September the 12th. The sign-up is at the, uh, at the Worship Center info desk. And then our ladies night uh, out is coming up on October 5th at 6.30 in the core. It's called In His Protection. T uh, tickets are $10.00. We'll have a soup and salad dinner. They'll be doing an escape room experience. If you've never done that, you've got to go through all kinds of puzzles to get out of certain rooms to make it to the end in a lot of time. So hopefully you'll be able to do that. If not, it, everything just blows up. No, I'm kidding. And you just don't get to hold your sign up and say, we finished. But anyway, um, you can sign up at the information desk uh, this morning. Uh, the ladies will be back there also. And then our men, our Pitts Crew Rally Men's Weekend is coming up on October 13th through the 15th. Uh, missionary Mark Logan will be our speaker for that weekend. Uh, we'll have great food and off-campus activity options. Uh, there's golf, disc golf, skeet shooting, go-karting, and fishing at Lake Norman. Go by the info desk. There's actually a small table to the right as you go out there uh, for your information. And then we need you to sign up by October the 8th. So those, a lot of things coming up. Uh, be watching your Friday Blast, too. 
on email. If you don't have that, go to our website and sign up for that so you can get our announcements each and every week. We do have a matter of business to take care of this morning, and that's our deacon election. So if you are a member, we ask you to stand, and our ushers will be coming to give you a ballot. And just notice on the ballot, you can vote for up to six. There's nine names on there. You can vote for one if you want to, and up to six. But if you go over six, we have to eliminate that ballot because we don't know your intention. So between one and six names, vote for those. And as you uh, get your ballot, if you'll just have a seat, and then we'll wait just a moment for everyone to vote. Once you have your ballot, if you'll have a seat, so our ushers can see who still needs them. All right, if you have voted, we can pass those toward the center. You do that in your section. This section up here on the, in the middle, if you'll send them this way, because uh, there's no center, but everyone else, if you'll send them towards the middle, and ushers will begin to pick those up. I know we had some folks up here get, their late, get theirs late, so we'll give them an extra minute or so. Any more ballots out? All right, so this morning for our prayer time, I want to take just a moment, because we've been singing of the goodness of God, to pray and just thank God for a minute for all of his blessings. Boy, to start naming those would take a long time, wouldn't it? Let's just take a few minutes or a minute or so and go to the Lord in prayer and just thank him uh, for what he's done for us. Can we do that? And then I'll pray out loud. God, it is good for us to sometimes reflect on your blessing and, God, how you take care of us each and every day to provide for all of our needs, God, even most of our wants. 
God, you take such good care of us. And sometimes it is good for us just to stop and pause and say thank you. God, we do pray for this service today that we can come to a building like this to sit in a place with your family, with the family here at Pitts Baptist, and worship you. God, we thank you for our pastor who preaches from your word. God, we know he has a message this morning that you've given to him. And God, we ask that you would just help us to listen with our ears and also with our hearts, God. And if there are things that we need to adjust or change in our life, that we would be willing to do that today. God, if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, then maybe even today your Holy Spirit would go to them and they would say yes and become your child. God, we thank you for our salvation, for your plan to allow your son, Jesus Christ, who didn't deserve it, but to die on a cross that I deserved, to make a way that we could be saved and come to know, uh, know you and become right with you, God. Be with this time today. Be with us as we worship. God, help us to think about you and sing these songs to you. God, as we listen to the message, that we would be focused in on what you might want to say to us. Be with all the needs that are represented in this room, God. You know those too. We ask that you give us wisdom in each of those situations. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.
from Titus chapter 3. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many passions and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Amen and amen. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless
be seated. Amen. Good singing this morning. Good to be back with you folks. And uh, I want to invite you to turn with me this morning uh, for the beginning of a two-part message on this ministry we have. You know, I was thinking about the mission weekend that we had last weekend. I'm so impressed with the uh, job that the mission team did on that and so grateful for their work. And uh, just thinking about the ministry that we as a church have, uh, the mission we have, the ministry we have, and uh, how we've seen so many young people in the past few years go out into missions and ministry. I was looking this morning around and uh, Ben Thomas up there getting ready to go to Japan and Josh Suggs up there probably going into ministry at some point in the near future and uh, how God has blessed us uh, in the avenue of missions and ministry. By the way, for the Harvest Fund last week, for our folks to go to help supplement them, you gave $10,000 uh, last week to the Harvest Fund. And so thinking about the mission that we have and the ministry we have, my, my mind was drawn to 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4. And I want us to look this morning at chapter 3. And uh, I want to read it in its entirety. And it is a very detailed chapter. Uh, and there is uh, some, some verses in it. I know hopefully I'll be able to, to clarify some of these and explain further exactly what Paul is, is uh, getting at. I'm reading this morning from the New Living Translation, I think. Uh, it will capture some of the heart of what Paul is communicating and, and it'll be on the screen. But I want to invite you, if you would, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And again, we're looking at this ministry that we have. Uh, Paul says there, beginning in verse 1, Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others? Who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant the spirit gives life. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. 
Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so that they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Father, we thank you for this ministry that you have given to us. You changed us. You saved us. You gave us eternal life. You placed us in a family. And as a family together, we have a collective ministry. A ministry centered in your word where we exalt the name of Christ. And Lord, each one of us is to be involved in this ministry of the new covenant. Because we have a message to tell to the nations. And we're to be salt and light to those around us wherever we find ourselves. God, thank you for this church and the involvement in ministry and missions. And we pray that that would only grow. Lord, use us for your glory. Continue to transform us and shape us that we will conform more and more to the image of Christ. And may we be salt and light in a very dark culture who needs hope. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You know, folks, when we think of ministry in the New Testament, and specifically about encouraging words about ministry, oftentimes we think of an individual speaking to another individual. For example, maybe we think of the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy. In 2 Timothy, for example, how he gives Timothy that charge to carry on and, and to fan into flames the gift of God that is within him and to guard the treasure of the truth, the truth of God's word that's been entrusted to him. 
Timothy is told to invest this in others who will in turn invest it in others. And finally Paul says to him, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Those are powerful words from one Christian to another. But let's not forget Paul's words of ministry to a collective body of believers, not just to an individual, but to a body of believers. That's what Paul is doing here in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, the the Apostle Paul has some tremendous words to say about Christian ministry for all believers. And we see in this chapter this ministry that we have. And we learn that this is a ministry under the new covenant. And under the new covenant, this ministry that God has given us aims at transforming the heart. You see, it's a ministry where we take the word of God. We communicate the word of God as well as our own personal testimony. And the Lord uses us to introduce others to the kingdom. It's not a ministry of the law that seeks to bring about just an outward conformity. It is a ministry whereby our own lives are changed from the inside out. And that's something that only the Lord can do. And it's a ministry that is not static. As we grow and as we live for Christ, our lives, as Paul is saying here, are as lives that are going from glory to glory. In other words, there is a progression that points to the Lord's work where ultimately only He gets the glory. Well, again, ours is a ministry that transforms the heart. First ours and then others. I want you to see this with me today. First of all, I hope you'll take notes on the sermon notes page I've given you uh, for today. I want you to notice, first of all, the life of a Christian is a testimony to others. He says, are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or to ask you to write such letters? letters on their behalf surely not the only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves your lives are a letter written in our hearts everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you clearly you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you Now, folks, we need to understand this section of 2 Corinthians in light of false teachers who would come into a congregation shortly after the Apostle Paul had just left. And they would sow seeds of discord and false doctrine. We know that many of these false teachers were Judaizers, and they mix, the Judaizers would mix law with grace. They would try to tell you that the cross of Christ was not enough, it was not sufficient. They would say, Oh, sure, it's helpful. But you still need the law and you still need the deeds of human uh, flesh. The deeds of the flesh and and the works of the law added to what Jesus has done. 
And as Paul said to the Galatians, that is no gospel at all. And anybody who comes preaching that gospel, let him be anathema, let him be accursed. Any religion that says that Jesus is not enough and you got to add more to him is no gospel at all. Now apparently some of these Judaizers had infiltrated the Corinthians and they had even gotten some of the Corinthians beginning to doubt. And some of these false teachers could put on some pretty impressive showings. And members of the congregation had been affected by that. And, and these false teachers, they would go from place to place. And since they didn't have the modes of communication you and I have today, when they arrived at a new place, they would have letters of recommendation with them. And they would show you their letters of recommendation. And, and it became a practice in the ancient world to always carry some of these letters with you as you went from congregation to congregation. Those letters of recommendation would be like your resume. But as Paul is pointing out to the Corinthians, those around us don't need a resume. There are people in your life and in my life where our lives are so intertwined together that a resume on paper or letters of recommendation could no way capture what that person means to you or you mean to somebody else. Because there's somebody that hopefully you've made such a profound effect upon they don't need any kind of recommendation. And likewise, there are people who have impacted you that way. Who are some of those people in your life? Who are you? some of your spiritual mentors? And who have you been a spiritual mentor to? Hopefully all of us have people around us that have impacted our walk with the Lord greatly. And now hopefully we're passing that along to others, to those who come behind us. Folks, this is what Christian community is all about. Coming up soon in December during the community group hour and then the worship service following that, we, we are going to be talking about community, doing a series, Master Life, doing Christian community together, and we're going to emphasize that. Uh, talking about worshiping together, praying together, giving together, fellowshipping together, studying together, doing missions and ministry together. That's what community is all about. Paul has just written in chapter 2 that we are, we are an aroma of life to some and an aroma of death to others as we carry out our life in community. Who are you an aroma of life to? Who has your life been a testimony to pointing them to Jesus? You'll recall in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul said of the Thessalonians that on the day of judgment, they themselves would be his crown of rejoicing. We think of crowns on the day of judgment, and Paul said of the Thessalonians, you'll be my crown. I'm emphasizing this as much as I am today because we have it so wrong in our culture today. We, we tend to be all about the individual. 
and individual needs. And that's even crept into churches today. People think about a church and, and they think, what can the church do for me? And now we're seeing even a trend where sometimes people will go to one church for children's ministry, another church for youth ministry, another church for ladies' ministry, and then there'll be another church they go to for worship. And, and, and the mentality is, I'm going to these different places because what is in it for me? But folks, we need to understand that Christianity has a corporate dimension to it. I certainly feel for those who can't come to church for some reason. Maybe they're shut in. Maybe somebody has cancer and they're on chemo and they can't be in a crowd. And that's certainly understandable. But I'm concerned about those who could attend a local church and minister along with that local church. But they just don't. They claim to be a Christian but there's no investment in, no involvement in the body of Christ. Their lives demonstrate something completely different than we find on the pages of the New Testament. They're walking in disobedience with God. You see, for good or bad, our lives communicate. We're to be a testimony to others in, in community together. And what are, what are our lives saying to each other? What are our lives communicating? Now notice in this process of ministry, our lives are a testimony to others. And what is the goal? The goal is that their lives likewise may be changed by God, just like our lives have been changed. The Corinthians had been changed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul said he came to them, and as he came to them, he determined to know nothing among them except Christ and Christ crucified. He was going to come preaching Jesus. Now, some scholars, although this is debated, say he came to that decision after being in Athens. In Athens, he was speaking to Greeks, and they were the intellectually elite of the day. And, and if you go back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, you'll see that Paul, there at Mars Hill uh, there at the Areopagus he's trying to logically reason with the academic group there and he's going deep in philosophies and so forth and, 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 and that's the approach he was taking there at Athens but when he left Athens and went to Corinth he decided I'm not going to do that anymore when I go to a new place like I've come to you at Corinth I'm just going to preach Jesus I'm going to keep the message simple I'm going to keep it focused on him his death, burial and resurrection and that's what I've determined to do as I've come among you and that's what Paul did and he saw lives changed and a church was planted they believed the message you know in Romans 10 it says how will people believe if nobody is sent and that person sent has to tell and the people listening have to hear and those who believe results in salvation. God uses the preaching and teaching of his word to bring people to Jesus Christ. And that's why the preacher can preach with great anticipation. There can be an anticipation in the hearts of believers knowing that, that God will save those who believe. 
to those who don't believe, the preacher's words may be nothing more than something like Charlie Brown's teacher. You remember Charlie Brown's teacher? You remember the old Charlie Brown shows? And there'd be the classroom, and you remember how the teacher would sound? Blah, 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 blah. To those who don't believe, that's what the preacher's words are like. But to the rest, God uses his word. His spirit uses his word to bring people to faith in Jesus. The lights come on, the light bulbs come on, and they're saved. They're saved. And where the Lord takes up residence in a heart and the person is born again, they, they love the people of God, they love God's fellowship, they love his work, they love his ministry and missions, uh, they love his people, they love the, the preaching and teaching of the word. That's one of the clearest assurances a person has that they're, they're born again because the light switch has come on and now they're alive to the things of God. You know, for some, maybe they heard a parent say as they were growing up, Honey, I think it's just time you join the church and be baptized. And so they did. But the Spirit of God and the Word of God never gripped their heart and brought about change. And I may be speaking to somebody like that here today. And to this day when you go to church, to this day when you go to Sunday school, all you hear is blah, 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 blah. And you leave today and it'll be business as usual. And that's the fear of every preacher. That there'll be people on the day of judgment who sat under a ministry for decades. And at the judgment seat of Christ, all they'll hear from him is, Depart from me, I never knew you. Has the light switch come on? Paul said to the Thessalonians in chapter 1, he, he said, We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you. And has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news. It was not only with words but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you, and you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. In spite of severe suffering it brought to you. And, and you imitated us. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. And everybody's talking about how you turn to God uh, from idols. Changed people. And Paul is saying to them at Corinth, this is what happened with you. The lights came on. You believed. You were saved. And, and Paul says, you know this is what happened. And, and it's a change that's not just simply about ink and paper. But it's about the heart. It's what Jeremiah the prophet prophesied about. In Jeremiah 31 he said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws within them and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Jeremiah spoke of God writing his laws on the heart when he gives somebody a new heart. 
In this chapter here in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is talking uh, also about, about the, uh, the Old Covenant and how God's words were written on stone. And Moses went up on the mountain and God gave Moses ten commandments in stone. And while giving people the direction that, that they needed from God, how they should walk, those commandments in stone could never provide the inward motivation and strength. It took the new covenant in Christ's blood to bring that about. In the new covenant, the Holy Spirit takes the word of God, transforms a man or a woman's heart, changes the heart, gives you a new heart. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, that's what happened to you when I came among you preaching the word. It was a ministry of the heart where lives were changed and you yourselves are witnesses of this. You were different. You were changed. I think of what Dr. Kent Hughes, one commentator, says about this. He says, Dr. Christian Bernard, the first surgeon ever to do a heart transplant, asked his third patient, Dr. Philip Blyberg, a dentist, he said, would you like to see your old heart? At 8 p.m. on a subsequent evening, the the men stood in a room of the hospital in in, uh, South Africa. Dr. Bernard went up to a cupboard, took down a glass container, handed it to Dr. Blayberg. Inside the container was Blayberg's old heart. And for a minute, he just stood there in stunned silence, holding his old heart. And finally, he spoke for 10 minutes and peppered the heart doctor with all kinds of questions about how he had done everything. And then he took a final look at his old heart in that container and he put it back on the shelf and said, you know that old heart sure gave me a lot of trouble. He put it there and he walked away from it, never to look at it again. And Dr. Hughes says, that is a window into what Christ does. We're the same people. But in Christ, we have a radically new heart. And what God has done in us is not just simply given us laws in paper and ink, but His Spirit has given us a new heart. He's written His laws on our heart. He's changed our heart in Christ. And because He's changed our heart and given us a a new heart, we've got a testimony to others. We've got a testimony to others. And the ministry we have centers in that, knowing that what God has done in us. Second thing I want you to see here, any good in a Christian's life is due to God. Look at what he begins saying there in verse 4. He says, we are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we're qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws but of the spirit. The old covenant ends in death but under the new covenant the spirit gives life. Here Paul is once again setting up the contrast between our inadequacy and God's adequacy. And all through the Bible we see this. 
Remember Moses? Moses said, Lord, I can't speak. I can't do this. You've, you've chosen the wrong person. Gideon. Gideon said, Lord, who am I? I'm the least in my family. My family is the least in our tribe. And our tribe is the least of all the tribes. In other words, Lord, you've made a mistake. You need to pick somebody else. And Jeremiah said, Lord, I'm just a child. I can't speak. Paul himself learned of his own inadequacy. In Philippians 3, he had that resume of everything he thought he had done that would make God proud with him. And finally he said, what was gained to me I now count as loss for the sake of Christ. Folks, any good in a Christian's life is due to one, and that's the Lord. Some of you read Oswald uh, Chambers in your devotion time. Listen to what he said about this. He said, God can achieve his purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance on them. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependence on their natural abilities and resources somebody else said of a, a true incident in the life of Dr. Billy Graham Dr. Billy Graham when he was only 36 years of age went to Cambridge University in, in England on invitation to preach a series of messages and there was somebody in Durham, England that wrote a letter to the Times deploring the fact that Billy Graham was coming to Cambridge to speak. He argued that Billy Graham's approach would be unthinkable before a trained academic university audience. Well, Dr. Graham, reading those words, he was very intimidated. His biographer writes, Graham, ever insecure about his lack of advanced theological education, dreaded the meetings and feared that a poor showing might do serious harm to his ministry and affect the way which the tide would turn in Britain. He'd been able, had he been able to do so without a complete loss of face, he would have canceled the meetings or persuaded them to get somebody better qualified. Well, Graham arrived in Cambridge. And the meetings were held in the great St. Mary's, the university church in, in the center of Cambridge. And there sat young Billy Graham in his Geneva gown and doctoral hood. And, and every area of that church was packed and he preached for three nights with almost no results. And it's said that he tried to be super academic and preach to that crowd. And, and he knew at the end of that he was not getting through to them. And, but then came a breakthrough. Following the, the third sermon, on the day after his 37th birthday, Billy Graham set aside everything he had prepared. And he, and he just got down to preaching to ordinary souls. Dr. John Stott said, it is amazing the transformation that began to take place in people. He said, history will begin to show, but only eternity will finally reveal how much was accomplished that week. Look at what Paul says here again. He says, it is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. 
God uses you, he uses me, he uses us collectively together in our weaknesses to be ministers of the new covenant. And he reminds them again in verse 6 that the new covenant's not like the old. The old covenant was of the letter. Does that mean that the Old Testament was bad? Absolutely not. As Paul said to the Romans, the law is good and perfect and holy. But as he says here in verse 6, the, the letter, the law, kills. The purpose of the law is to expose sin. The law shows God's perfect standard and it reveals our shortcomings. Through the reading of the law, we see that we've sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. The law is like a mirror in your bathroom that you use this morning to get ready to come here. The mirror simply pointed out your flaws and what you needed to do to get ready to come to church. But the, but the mirror itself, could not fix your bedhead. It could not put your makeup on for you ladies. You know, teenagers, they look in a mirror and they fret because it reveals they've got another pimple. You know, the law, Paul is saying that's how the law, it, it can't do anything to fix our condition before God. It just points out what's wrong. And we learn that the wages of sin is death. The law reveals this. And so he says the letter kills. But then he goes on to say, on the other hand, the Spirit gives life. The Spirit takes ordinary, simple people just like you and me. He saves us. He changes us from the inside out. And through us, we become ministers of the new covenant. All the glory goes to God because in and of ourselves, we're nothing. And we can do nothing. We're inadequate. Any good in a Christian's life, any ministry that they're able to do, where's the credit go? It goes to him. And that's what Paul is reminding the Corinthians of. A third thing I want you to see, a Christian's ministry is to be a ministry revealing God's glory. He says beginning in verse 7, The old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all, compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much much more glorious is the new that remains forever. He's already said that we're ministers of the new covenant. And he contrasts Moses' ministry with ours. Now Moses would have been recognized as maybe the greatest among the Old Testament saints. But think about his ministry. As he ascended that mountain and he received the commandments, it was a ministry of glory because God met with Moses. Because of that, when Moses came off the mountain, the people could not even look at Moses' face. It was radiant with the glory of God. 
However, as, the, as glorious as Moses' ministry was and as radiant as his face was, Paul wants us to keep in mind it was a fading glory. A fading glory. You say, why was it fading? Well, as the book of Hebrews points out, because the Old Testament was passing away. It was pointing to something, something greater that would come one day. Everything in the Old Covenant was pointing forward to what God would one day do in His Son, the Lord Jesus. Paul says in verse 10, when you look now at the Old Covenant standing on this side of the cross, the Old Covenant doesn't look so great. Again, it was great because it was instituted by God. But when you look at the Old Covenant in light of the New Covenant, all of a sudden the Old Covenant loses some of its appeal. We love the Old Testament. We love the Jewish people because as Christians we stand on their shoulders. So there's a continuity there, but there's contrast. The new grows out of the old, and yet the new is greater than the old. And as Hebrews points out, when the new comes, the old is obsolete. So Paul is wanting us to see how much more privileged you and I are today in Christ than anybody ever was in the Old Covenant. We've got so much more reason to serve God. We've got so much more reason to be faithful to Him and try to point others to Him because we have so much more light than they had. And we, had the fulfill, we have the fulfillment in Christ of everything God was doing in the Old Covenant. So yes, we hold Moses up as a hero of faith, and we should. But he's saying, think about how much more blessed we are on this side of the cross. And because we are so blessed, because we are so blessed to stand on this side of the cross... It is such a privilege and honor of being ministers together of the new covenant. Think, think about some of the other contrasts. Under the old covenant, you had to belong to a certain tribe if you were going to be a minister. A Levite under, under the new covenant, we're all ministers. In Exodus 19, God met with the Israelites at the foot of the mountain and proclaimed they were to be a kingdom of priests. But in 1 Peter 2, Peter reminds us that we are a holy nation, a people proclaiming God's glory. We're a kingdom of priests now. We were once not a people, but now we're the people of God. When does this happen? When the Lord removes the veil and your eyes see what God has done in Christ. When did that happen for you? The Lord removed the veil. You looked upon Christ as your only hope and now you're able to help others to see. Is that happening? It's supposed to. 
And then fourthly, I want you to see as Christians, we're to have a ministry that reveals our growth going from glory to glory. He picks up in verse 12, says, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so that they cannot understand the truth. And this veil cannot, uh, can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil. And they do not understand. But when, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now in these verses, what Paul is doing is giving us a new interpretation of what happened with Moses in the book of Exodus. He's giving a new interpretation of how we're to look at what was happening here. Moses would come off the mountain and he would put a veil over his face so the people could not, because they couldn't behold the glory of God coming off of his face. But Paul wants us to understand something else was happening too. Not only could they not bear to look at that glory radiating off of his face, but what, what Moses did not want them to see is that it was a glory that was fading. And Paul uses that as an analogy. He says, for many to this day when the scripture is read, this veil remains in place. You don't see the full glory that never fades until you come to Christ. And when you come to Christ, the veil is removed and you see God's glory in all of its richness. You know, I've had people say to me before, Pastor, I used to read my Bible and it meant nothing to me. I couldn't understand anything. But God removed that veil and now I read it and, and man, it's the joy of my life to read it. Things have just, it's like light bulbs have been turned off. Paul's point is we don't have to be like Moses who wore a veil so that people would not see the glory fading. His point is that in Christ, for the person in Christ, the glory of God never fades. So you don't have to worry about a fading glory. Our faces are not to be veiled. In other words, people are to see our lives being transformed. And as we grow in the Lord, what people see in us, so to speak, is going from glory to glory. We're growing in the Lord and becoming more like Christ. Does that describe you? Is that what people see in your life? As they look at your life, do they see somebody that the veil has come off? Your eyes have been opened. You see Christ. He's changed you. And now as a way of life, you're continuing to grow more and more, showing others the transformation he's doing in you. Are people seeing that? You see, there are things that can hurt that. Sin and apathy and coldness can hurt that. Is that going on in your life, hurting that process? What do you need to deal with if that's the case? 
We need to remember we are ministers of a new covenant and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's life and liberty. We're to be transformed. That word in verse 18 is the word from which we get our word metamorphosis. A caterpillar turning into a butterfly, a tadpole turning into a frog. What he is saying is that in the case of a Christian, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive together in Christ. The old man is still there. You've got a new nature. You've got a new nature now, but the old man is still there that you've got to overcome. And so daily you have to be allowing the Lord to transform you from glory to glory more and more into the likeness of Christ. And in community together, we're to be witnessing that taking place in our midst. Because we are like a letter read by all men. The law cannot do what the Spirit of God can do. Are you a testimony to the power of the Spirit drawing you to faith in Christ, taking out your old heart of stone and giving you a new heart? Don't keep going back and looking at the old heart. You're a new creation in Christ with a new heart. Live like who you are. Grow in Christ. Allow Him daily to transform you from glory to glory. And whatever it is in your life that is hurting that, deal with it. Because it's not worth it. I want to give you some concluding application points. Number one, your life is a testimony to those around you. And I want you to remember today, it's more powerful than words on paper that strangers might use to describe you. What does your life say to those who know you best? Secondly, your ability and strength to live the Christian life and influence others is something that comes from God. It's not about your ability, your education, your skills, or whatever. It's about how God is taking your life and using you. And you know, God can use some of the most unlikely people. And there are other people that we'd say, that seems like the most likely person God would use, but God doesn't because they're still relying on their own strength. Are you putting everything into God's hands and living a life of surrender? Again, it's not about what you can or can't do. It's about what He can do in and through you. Thirdly, your life is to point others to Christ that they might see His glory and be drawn to Him. And finally, remember your Christian life is a work in progress. In our Christian growth, we aren't to be standing still, but we are to be progressing, becoming more and more like Christ. Father, this is a rich, rich chapter. There is so much here. But God, we thank you for what is being told to us here, the the, the blessings and the power of the new covenant, what you've done in Christ that the old could not do. And our lives are to be a testimony 
to the transformation that only you can do in Christ. And this is to be a transformation that is seen, that is witnessed, and that people also witness our continuing growth. Lord, I pray for that one here this morning who's let things get in the way of them being what you save them to be. And they know what it is. For some, it's some besetting sin. For others, maybe laziness or apathy or coldness. Lord, I pray that they would get back to a priority of what it is you want to do in and through them. And I pray for that one this morning who the veil is still there over his or her eyes. The veil has never been lifted. God, through the power of your Spirit, would you lift that veil off of their eyes that they would see Jesus and be drawn to him? He's everything they've been looking for. They've been looking in the wrong places. They've been looking to things that cannot provide the hope that they need. God, I pray that you lift that veil that the, for, for the first time somebody would see that their hope, their salvation, their life is in Jesus. And they'd come to him. And Lord, as a church body, remind us this is the ministry we have as a new covenant body of believers It is a message of transformation in Christ. It's not of the law. It's not of the letter. It's it's what you've done for us in Christ. Lord, as I said earlier, we live in a dark culture where people are looking to all sorts of things. They'll never find life in those things. But you've planted us here to be a lighthouse, to shine forth your truth. God, help us to be surrendered to this ministry you've given us, a ministry of the new covenant preaching Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray.